we map out the customer journey and every step of that customer journey is like an iterative process. How do we make this better? How do we make the communication with the customer better? How do we make the compliance part better? How do we ensure like more transparency in the in supply chain? And again, because we're a startup, we're iterating, right? We're not perfect. We're at day zero. And so we have to have that continuous improvement methodology within our cultures. Are you ready to hear business stories and learn effective ways to build relationships, generate sales, and level up your business from awesome CEOs, entrepreneurs, and founders without listening to a long, long, long interview? If so, you've come to the right place. Gresh values your time and is ready to share with you the valuable info you're in search of. This is the I Am CEO Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. This is Gresh from the I Am CEO Podcast. I have a very special guest on the show today. I have Aaron Mizrahi. Aaron, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Gresh. Nice to be here. Yeah, super excited to have you on and talk about all the awesome things that you're doing. And of course, before we jumped into that, I want to read a little bit more about Aaron so you can hear about some of those awesome Aaron grew up watching his father grow a successful import business that was built on integrity and customer service. A South African transplant, Aaron started his career at Deloitte. From there, he came to New York to pursue his MBA at Columbia, graduated in 2014. Aaron was a early employee at Plated, where he focused on building, planning, and sourcing programs. The team's collective efforts led to a $300 million sale to Albertson, and he then went on to join Nets.com, one of the world's largest and specialty in- ingredient e-commerce companies. He was quickly elevated to COO and quadrupled the company's capacity to support growth in 2020. And I'm super jealous of Aaron because he took a gap year in college, which I've always wanted to do. I think he went on to culinary school, if I read that correctly. Yeah. And I love that he has entrepreneurship. I think he said in his DNA going to selling coloring books, if I heard correctly, when he was like 10 or so years old, or maybe eight or something like that. Yeah, and then I, it, was, it was very early on. I always wanted to sell things, which yeah. is you know, very bizarre. And then I became an accountant, which doesn't make any sense. But, yeah. <laughs> hey, it's both sides of the of the brain, right? You, you've been able to yeah. do that. And then one of his quotes that he lives by that I absolutely love is that you create your own look. I think so many times we can point fingers and say, this didn't happen because of X, Y, and Z, or A, B, and C. But I love how that mentality just propels you into being able to take control of your destiny, so to speak. So, Aaron, yeah. excited to have you on the show. Are you ready to speak to the IMCO community? Let's do it. Let's get it started then. So to kick everything off, I know I touched on it a little bit, but wanted to rewind that clock, hear a little bit more on how you got started, what I call your CEO story. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. The story is there's so many different routes that I took to get to where I am today and start a business. And so I think to your point, what you mentioned earlier was the, I did, I dropped out of college after my first year to go to culinary school, I think much to my parents' dismay and trying to figure out what I wanted in life and always been inquisitive and always been curious and always had this entrepreneurial bug and just didn't know how it was going to manifest itself and landed up um, going and joining Deloitte, like you mentioned, and being more in the finance world and then had the opportunity to come to the U.S. um, to go to grad school. Um, And that doing my MBA in the U.S. really gave me amazing opportunities. Um, The ability to speak to people gave me two years off to explore and be curious again. And and when I was leaving, um, I was, you know, lucky enough to get a role at Plated, which was an early meal kit company. And I think the US market being so big and just, I'd never even thought about going back into food and hadn't really, even that wasn't an, on the horizon for me. It was all finance. And then suddenly coming here, just seeing the, the big market um, was able to join Plated and then Nuts.com. And throughout my time at those two places, 
kept seeing the same patterns within the B2B wholesale space. I, being a finance person, I always look for arbitrage, trying to find inefficient markets, trying to find places where one side has more information than the other. And I think B2B sourcing just kept coming up as that place where, you know, as a buyer, you're usually buying so many different ingredients from so many different vendors. And the vendors are the experts. They know exactly what they're paying. They're spending the time. They're spending the resources. And there wasn't always the best sharing across the aisle. And so it felt like come into this industry, maybe we can do something a little bit different. And decided in 2021 that it was time and convinced Alap, who used to work with me at Nuts.com. And he was now running operations at a company called Simply Gum and convinced him to jump ship. And we started in about July of 2021. Nice. I absolutely love hearing that journey. And I almost wonder, you talked about being able to see patterns. It wasn't like all the experience that you had. And of course, that I think that accounting background as well, too. Did that help equip you to be able to see those patterns, but also probably see that opportunity that wasn't being fulfilled? Yeah, I think so. I think it, you make a great point, right? Everything happens for a reason. And definitely having good foundation played a, a big part in identifying the opportunity. But at the same time, having been at Deloitte, what I realized was that if I wasn't going to be in an industry, I wasn't going to see the opportunity. And I do think no matter what industry you're in, you can see the opportunity and you can see you can see a, a business idea. Right? Whether I would have gone into food or built, gone into some other industry, I still think I would have come out with a business idea of some sort, right? Because everywhere there's inefficiencies, right? There's no efficient markets. And so I think making that change into industry and actually being the customer and being the user and seeing the tools that I was using. I think that was really the pivotal moment where I, I remember complaining to my dad when I started at Play Day, just being like frustrated. I need the idea. I need to figure out what I'm going to be doing. And he's like, just put your head down, just go. Work as hard as you can. One day it'll come. And I was like, no, nah, I don't believe you. And then eventually it did. And he was right. So <laughs> I, yeah, to your point, being a lot of founders want to find that idea that is outside of what they're used to doing on a daily basis. But there's just so much in front of you if you're able to be in industry for a while and gain that experience, you'll see that those opportunities come to light. Yeah, and that, that makes so much sense. And, and so I think exactly that point, right, where you're trying to look for things that are the end result of many, many iterations. And sometimes it's all about finding that little niche that you think you can do a little bit better and, and have conviction around. And, and, and again, the hardest thing is making the leap, right? Um, once you make that leap, then things start to happen. But that first initial leap is really, really the most challenging part of the process. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of leaps, I, I wanted to hear a little bit more about you, what you leaped into. Could you take us a little, a little bit more into your organization, what you're doing, how you're making that impact there? Yeah, it's Ingredient Brothers is a really fun business, right? What we do is import raw ingredients, let's call it natural ingredients from all around the world. We, I think we currently import from about 12 different countries into the US and we're mainly supplying big consumer brands or even startup CPG brands that are trying to do something in the natural food space. And so what we do is we offer a platform for the world's best manufacturers of those raw ingredients. We also handle all the compliance, logistics, the movement of that, and then trying to identify who the right manufacturing partner is for our customers. And so we do an end-to-end -end supply chain solution for natural ingredients. A lot of what we pride ourselves on is that we have a very global team. A lot of our team sits in Southeast Asia as well as South America. And we put a lot of emphasis on compliance. And, and what that's meant is that we had to invest in technology and building things ourselves. We're not a technology company, but we were almost forced to do that because we wanted something specific for our industry. 
um, for what we do. And uh, the best way to do that was to build something ourselves. And so that's what we did. And all those little things, you know, there isn't that, like I said, there isn't that one big thing that makes us different. But all those little things across the supply chain that we can just do a little bit better, those are the things that have led us to where we are today. And now we're 30 people. In two years, we're 30 people and we're importing from 12 different countries and, and bringing in a significant amount of, of volume. Nice. I absolutely love that. And, 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 and that kind of probably is a little bit of the, the secret sauce, I imagine, is that, and I think so, again, just there's like such a misconception or perception, I can't even get the words together, um, that people have where you have to be have this one thing and that one thing is going to be the thing that breaks through the noise. But I love how, you know, you talk about having those quote unquote small things that when you start to add them up, ends up being a whole big thing because yeah. no one's going that extra mile along all those different avenues. Correct. Like we map out the customer journey and every step of that customer journey is like an iterative process. How do we make this better? How do we make the communication with the customers better? How do we make the compliance part better? How do we ensure like more transparency in the in supply chain? And again, because we're a startup, we're iterating, right? We're not perfect. We're at day zero. And so we have to have that continuous improvement methodology within our culture so that it isn't about this is what we're building. Yes, everyone knows that. But like, every day needs to be one step closer towards that, right? We're climbing a mountain and you don't climb a mountain by jumping one step to the top, right? You do it one step at a time. And I think that's the, the mantra that we have. It's take that journey and every day, the person who's responsible for each part of that journey needs to do something to make that journey better and improve the product. Yeah, so absolutely appreciate that. And so I wanted to switch gears a little bit and ask you for what I call a CEO hack. So this could be like an app, a book, yeah. or a habit that you have, but what's something that makes you more effective and efficient? Yeah, I was thinking about that a lot. What is the one thing that I've leaned on in terms of becoming what I, let's say for now, somewhat successful as a CEO, the biggest thing is network, right? And I think being thoughtful about the bench that you're building as a CEO, right? CEO is a very lonely role and you are not reporting to anyone. You have to make a lot of decisions. And so, and a lot of times when you're a startup, you have no board and no investors and things like that who you can really lean on a daily basis. And so the thing I've done and been very, specific about is built a bench of people that I can lean on for different things, whether it's sales or supply chain or it's fundraising or it's human resource issues. And and I think that I come from a you know somewhat privileged because I was able to go to business school and had some network. But again, a lot of people that I've lent lean on a lot is like people that have just done random outreach on LinkedIn. And those people have been great supporters of mine and have given me time. And I think being organized around that, knowing who your net, who your bench is, who is on your bench, what do they know how to do, and leaning on them and not being afraid to lean on them, I think is super important. As a founder, you have to do everything with all the resources at your at your disposal. And if you've got someone, you abuse that until they tell you to F off. And at the same time, I think people respect that and they want to help. And then when they reach out to ask you for help, then you make sure you give them the time that they deserve. And I think that's been huge help. And just the most, I would say, like one antidote is like someone who, like, through so many degrees of separation, helped me and then landed up, we landed up getting funding from like a secondary lender. And I think, had I not maintained that relationship and that network, it would never have happened. And so, don't take those things for granted. I think it's a free resource that just requires some commitment of time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. And I don't know if that's part of the, the nugget that you would share, the thing that makes you more effective and efficient. But I think the true people that are really great at business are able to mitigate risk and they're planning and they're preparing. They have a good team and all those things. Do you feel like that's 
part of the nugget you would share? Oh, 100%. I think planning is the nugget, right? And it's not necessarily about this super accurate plan. When you like, there's two, there's two types of planning in my mind. There's like financial planning, which is incredibly important for a founder to understand the drivers of their business, right? What are the variables that they need to move when financially planning the next quarter? And what is it going to take? Because I think a lot of times founders will have a plan in mind or have something that they want to execute on, but haven't actually written down the numbers and understood what is that going to actually take. And then the second thing that has to happen in tandem with this is resource allocation. Because again, what I always find is that, you know, this is definitely very true in the US more than anywhere is that there's so much opportunity. It's incredible. And founders then tend to find themselves with more things that they could do to drive value within their company than they have resources for. And so you have two choices, right? You can either go after more than you can chew and then you land up in a situation where hopefully you get lucky and one or two things pan out or you can sit down and allocate resources against all these things and say, what would it actually take to do these things successfully and allocate those resources correctly? And I think that's something we do extremely well in Green Brothers, right? We stay extremely focused. And even though we're 30 people, and that's a lot of people for a two-year-old business, everyone knows what they need to do. And we know what everyone's doing so that we don't allocate the wrong, too too much work onto people, right? We're like 10 different strategic projects are suddenly lumped into three of the same people and you land up effectively failing and then burning people out, which is not what you want, right? So I think that planning and that process and understanding the variables. Yeah, I appreciate you so much in sharing that. So I want to ask you now my absolute favorite question, which is the definition of what it means to be a CEO. We're hoping to have different quote-unquote CEOs on this show. So Aaron, what does being a CEO mean to you? Yeah, I think that's a very tough question. And it's a good question. I think, honestly, the tactical answer that I'll give is being a CEO is being effective at allocating capital, right? And I know this sounds crazy, but in a world where we're all constrained by capital, whether it's your bootstrapping it or your fundraising, you need to invest that dollar and get more than a dollar out. And you need to also, relative to other investment ideas, be able to invest. And that is both has impact on the short term and long term, right? What long-term investments are you going to make? What is the payoff that you're thinking of? What are the short-term investments are you going to make? And that, again, like that investment is in people, in markets, in different strategies. And I think because I'm a finance person, I believe in compounding. Compounding is super incredibly powerful, right? If you look at compounding, you model it out, you realize that if you're able to make a return and keep reinvesting at a good return, you've got an incredible business. And so I think about that as my responsibility, right? Being able to allocate capital and know when to shift capital allocation into different obje- into different projects given some other payoff that I'm seeing or inefficiency in the market. And then the other side is building a high-performing team, right? You've got to be able to build a team that does not rely on you as a founder. And my team talks a lot about freeing your own, right? Because obviously we're small and I'm still involved in so many things, but we need to build a high-performing team and you need to build a team that is aligned on your in the vision. You have to keep repeating the vision, keep repeating the mission, keep repeating those financial goals, being super consistent, right? Super, super consistent. Like people should be bored when you get up and say things because it should be very clear what we're doing, why we're doing it and where we're going. And so I think like that, those are the two things that I think of as like my primary responsibilities as a CEO and what it means to me. And and the people stuff is the most fun and most rewarding, right? So being able to build a team, build people in their careers, give them professional development, see them fly it's selfishly the 
best feeling in the world. And so I really love, love doing that every day. Yeah, absolutely. So, Aaron, I truly appreciate that. Appreciate, of course, your time as well. So what I wanted to do now is pass you the mic, so to speak, just to see if there's anything additional that you can let our readers and listeners know. And of course, how best people can get out of you. Find about all the awesome things you and your team are working on. Awesome. Yeah, ingredientbrothers.com or you can find us on LinkedIn. We're super active. So on Ingredient Brothers on LinkedIn. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And to make that even easier, we'll have the links and information in the show notes too so that everybody can follow up with all the awesome things that you all are doing. But I I truly appreciate all the awesome things you're doing. I hope you have a phenomenal rest of the day. Thank you for listening to the I Am CEO podcast powered by CB Nation and Blue 16 Media. Tune in next time and visit us at mceo.co. I Am CEO is not just a phrase, it's a community. Don't forget to schedule your complimentary digital marketing consultation at blue16media.com. This has been the I Am CEO podcast with Gresham Harkless Jr. Thank you for listening.